We're trying to keep our companies afloat and viable. And that means we have to have liquidity for our members to weather the storm. Welcome to the Box Office Podcast. I'm Russ Fisher, the editorial director of the Box Office Studios, which provides content for movie theaters across the country. It is Friday, April 3rd, or, you know, if you want to call it a little more realistically, you can say it's day number 412 of isolation or quarantine. I've lost track. I imagine a lot of you have as well. If this year had gone as planned, most of the exhibition arm of the motion picture business would just be getting home from CinemaCon, which is the annual theater owners convention in Las Vegas. And if you're listening to this podcast, I probably didn't have to explain that to you. But just, you know, for the sake of everybody else, this year has not gone as planned, however. There was no CinemaCon, and for at least the next month in the United States, there is not really any cinema, at least from the perspective of commercial exhibition. This morning, Box Office Pro hosted a live sessions webinar featuring John Fithian, the president and CEO of NATO, the National Association of Theater Owners. In this episode, we want to highlight some of John Fithian's comments about the state of the industry, along with a few made by NATO's VP and CCO, Patrick Corcoran. So I'm joined today, as always, by Daniel Luria of Box Office Pro Magazine and by Rebecca Polly, Deputy Editor of Box Office Pro Magazine. Daniel and Rebecca, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Hey, happy to be here again. So Daniel, I guess to begin, tell me a little bit about the live sessions program that we've begun on which uh, John Fithian guested earlier today. So obviously we're all disappointed that we couldn't make it out to Las Vegas. And that's a caveat, which is the only acceptable way to say that sentence is ending it with for CinemaCon. It's definitely, I don't think anyone, everyone's cup of tea as a city, but it's a great place for the industry to come together each year. We had the opportunity to catch up with the head of the National Association of Theater Owners, John Fithian, to get a sense of what's happening here in the cinema industry, after all of this went down, uh, John usually gives out a big address assessing the state of the theatrical industry each year at this event. We didn't get to have that, and we were able to get him on as our first guest in these live webinars. In this edition, Rebecca and I hosted both John Fithian and his colleague Patrick Corcoran, the chief communications officer over at NATO. And uh, we were able to ask them some questions about uh, not only this crisis, but what they see coming in the next couple of months. What we're looking at is a situation where we have things that we know and things that we don't know. The biggest thing that we know is that we have an industry that's shut down and shut down for absolutely important reasons, which is public health. And we're going to abide by what the public health officials tell us. And that's going to be, you know, both locally here in, in the U.S. and in, in many different jurisdictions. Hopefully it'll be as uniform as possible, but also around the world. Because, you know, we, we are a, a local small town industry and we're a national industry and we're an international industry. So what we think from what we know now is that we'll be shut down for two to two and a half months overall. It looks, that depends on, on how the situation changes and if the curve bends downward on this pandemic. Uh, we're looking at possibly being open at the end of May, early June in a limited way, and then sort of wrapping up to uh, 
you know, major releases if that's possible in July. So Daniel, you and I actually discussed some of this in our last episode, in episode three, where we talked about a little bit of the timeline. So Rebecca, I'm curious to get your thoughts on how that timeline seems to you, the ramp up in June with a potential wide opening in in July. I mean, it seems to make a lot of sense to me, you know, especially with we got the news today, actually, at the same time as as, uh, the live session went on that Disney shifted around their slate and put a lot of stuff in July. Clearly, at this point, they're planning on late summer to be a time when theaters will be open and, and, and people will want to see these films. I mean, I think it's it's definitely not going to be a situation, as Patrick noted, where, bam, coronavirus is over, all the theaters open up. It's going to be gradual within one country to another, one state to another, one city to another. So when we talk about theaters opening up, it's not going to be, you know, one and done. It's going to be a gradual process. Um, but I think that's that's definitely important and it's good in terms of gaining public confidence, you definitely don't just want to open everything up before people feel comfortable sitting in a room filled with other people. You know, it makes me think, or it makes me wonder if this might, for a time at least, shift the exhibition model back to something more like what it was in, you know, the 50s or 60s, -hmm. where the platform release was more common than a simultaneous wide release across every market. If we might see, simply because perhaps cities in Florida, which took longer to officially mandate social distancing policies, cities in Florida might take longer to recover than cities in another state, which went a little more aggressively towards social isolation. I don't say that targets Florida specifically. It's just the first thing that came to mind. And obviously, I don't have any data on whether this is just for the sake of conversation. But does that sort of eventuality seem likely to either of you? Yeah, I think what you suggest is is that we might look at the return of the roadshow, which is a theatrical distribution model where a film place a select number of houses and just basically goes on tour as if it was uh, a band in concert, basically going through different sites and venues where it might be safer to to open than in others. Uh, this sort of distribution strategy was often used for big budget films and for select uh, Academy Award uh, potential films. It's great for word of mouth. We're sort of trying to see how distribution strategy can come back. But I definitely see that as an interesting possibility. Uh, I think on the likelier side of things, I think we're going to start seeing some studios open up their vault, go into the archives, and make some older prints accessible, some older titles accessible to cinemas during this ramp-up stage, right? We, we won't be able to jump right back into a wide release, meaning that uh, these big new movies, they're probably not gonna be available one or two weeks out as the slow reopenings happen. You kind of want to work your way back up there. So when you have a wide release, it can open in as many screens as possible. And I've been that whole opening the vault thing is something I've I've been I think we talked about that in our first 
episode. And it's, you know, it's not like we've got any sort of exclusive lock on that. It seems like an obvious strategy. I think it's potentially a very good one. And ultimately what I'm saying is, yeah, I think that that's going to be a really strong option, certainly for some of the major studios as we get into June and the beginning of July, uh, you know, especially with uh, I guess what makes it interesting to me is over the last couple of years, we've just looked at some studios kind of closing down their vaults, especially Fox since the acquisition by Disney. Mm-hmm. And it would be a pretty big deal, I think, to see that policy reversed in response to this scenario that we find ourselves in now. It's definitely something that judging by the conversation that was happening in our live seminar exhibitors want it or are at least very excited about the possibility of it. That, you know, all of that being said, there's still a lot of work to be done beforehand. And I know that John Fithian, when he joined us, had a few things to say about what NATO's priorities are and uh, the three major approaches that they're taking to the current crisis. So I would love to go to his quote right now so you can hear what John Fithian had to say. We are trying to do uh, three things aggressively. One is we're trying to help our workers, and we are doing that through an unemployment fund coming from the federal government here. We're doing that from uh, our own contributions in a fund for our employees. Uh, And then around the world, we are uh, encouraging governments to help the workers to compensate for their lost wages. We live in a business Uh, that is mainly hourly employees. Uh, Unlike big business with salaried employees, we're a place where first-time workers come to get their first job. And so we, first and foremost, are trying to help cover our workers so they can pay their rent and they can have groceries during the interim. Secondly, we're trying to keep our companies afloat and viable. And that means we have to have liquidity for our members to weather the storm. They have ongoing fixed costs and no income coming in. And so the various loan programs we're establishing in the United States, the various government subsidies and tax breaks that are happening around the world are intended to get our members uh, to the other side of this storm. And third, and equally important, we're trying to do our part to keep everybody safe. And that means, you know, we shut down all of our cinemas very, very quickly. Uh, we're working with all of our governments as they support the healthcare efforts because the fast, faster we can get through this crisis, the faster we can get back up and running. And so those are our, our three big initiatives here in the United States and, and around the world. One of the interesting things that John brings up is that this really isn't just a domestic issue. It's not that one market is affected and others are thriving. This is a global situation. Uh, movie theaters are closed worldwide, practically. He took that opportunity to speak a little bit about how the global business is looking and how some markets are tackling this challenge. We had a, a call recently of the executive committee of the Global Cinema Federation, and that's CEOs from China, Japan, Australia, India, Europe, North America, South America. And the lessons are, are very similar. Uh, the timelines are very different, right? So China shut down in Western Europe and North America didn't shut down until mid-March. And so we're learning from each other. We're comparing notes on how long the virus takes. We're comparing notes on what you do to ramp back up once the virus is done, what kind of film programming we can have when we get back up and running. All of those issues, we're comparing notes all around the world. And we're beginning to make uh, global statements through the Global Cinema Federation about some of these issues. 
I'm just curious, Russ, what do you think that sort of uh, recovery could look like uh, from your end? Well, I think that the big deal is it kind of connects back to something we were just talking about, which is that over the past 20 years, certainly, and even going back a little earlier than that to the beginning of the blockbuster era, you've seen a real shift towards simultaneous wide openings across global markets. So, you know, with the exception now of something like a James Bond movie, which is going to open in the UK a week earlier than it does in the United States, or with other minor shifts, by and large, you've got pretty simultaneous openings to a, a large degree for major titles across global markets. There's going to be shifts here and there, but you don't see things rolling out, you know, for a Marvel movie in the way that you do for an indie. And yet, this sort of scenario might require something a little bit different than that. We're seeing some studios plan for that in the way that they're shifting their release schedules. So Marvel has pushed Black Widow to November into the date that was once set for the Eternals. Eternals has been pushed back, et cetera. So we're going to see some release date shifting based on that so that biggest titles can potentially have this simultaneous global opening. But as we've talked about, that leaves a lot of empty space in the calendar that will need to be filled by something else. And so we need to see what that something else is going to be. Now, what I wonder here is as we go towards a more staggered release schedule, both internationally and in the United States, which given these particular circumstances, I think makes a lot of sense, what effect is that going to have on piracy? Obviously, that's something that NATO uh, and the Global and the GCF are both heavily involved in working with various, you know, governments to, to cut down on it. But it, it seems like that's that could potentially turn into an issue. Oh, of course. I think that's a great point to isolate as we sort of uh, start saying what new challenges are uh, around the corner in our new reality when we get back into business. Piracy is something that's been with the business uh, for many, many years. Obviously, it's taken a, a bigger form in recent years through the means of digital media, whether it's uh, trade bodies like uh, the Motion Picture Association and uh, local organizations that uh, will be able to tackle that as it comes by. What I also find curious is in sort of opening back up, every cinema in each country is going to have a different set of rules. It's not going to be one uniform number of requirements or, or suggestions for businesses to open back up. I think that's going to be a specific challenge to overcome, especially coordinating communications. I'm thinking about all of those multinational circuits that have businesses opening in many different countries that will have many different sets of rules uh, to abide by. And that's something that uh, John also addressed uh, during our conversation. So first and foremost, exhibitors in every territory should work very closely with their health officials, right? So in the United States, we're consulting with the Centers for Disease Control, as well as our local health departments all across the country on issues like social distancing, on issues like cleanliness, on issues like, you know, sick employees staying home. We were doing that before the shutdown, and we anticipate we'll take those steps again upon opening back up. Whether we open back up, you know, location by location, region by region, nation by nation remains to be seen, just depending on what the health officials say is the cessation of the threat, right? 
So everyone should stay in touch with all their local health officials, first and foremost, about their recommendations. And then prepare to ramp back up in steps. So we anticipate that when we first open cinemas uh, anywhere in the world, that we'll have social distancing elements involved. The 50% seating capacity issue is one way to address that so that people have a chance to come to the cinema but have some space between themselves. Obviously, we'll return to the very intense cleaning procedures and anything else that the health officials recommend so that when we're opening back up, people know that we are careful with their health as they come to our cinemas. We hope that those steps won't take very long, right? We essentially need to just go through the period while the governments are confirming that the threat has abated. And once that assessment is made by local governments, we hope to be up running a full blast within a number of weeks after we come up. And I think uh, an additional element to bring up is that the capacity in many auditoriums here in the United States and in several other countries has actually gone down. Now, that's not exactly because of uh, decreased demand. It's a reflection of a big, big trend in exhibition over the past couple of years with recliner seating. Those uh, big, comfortable chairs that go all the way back they take up a lot more room. So as a result, we're seeing auditoriums that used to seat 100 people now seating 40. Part of that has already been somewhat addressed. You're not really packing in as many people to each screening room as you used to five, 10 years ago. Some of that is already built in. Now, that means that there's going to be less tickets coming in. I think that that's a good sort of reflection that there will be a ramping up period where I don't expect too many new releases from studios to come right out of the gate while you're only selling half of an auditorium. But that also means that I don't have to have someone's uh, big head blocking my view in front of me. The other big point that I think bears discussion is that we don't know precisely how things are going to work with respect to getting everyone back to work it's very likely that we're not going to be in a situation where a company that's been dormant for a couple of months from a public perspective can simply switch back on. Everyone goes back to work. All the employees put their hats back on and are right back where they were, uh, you know, on March 10th or whatever, there's going to be a process there and we don't have a good sense of what that's going to look like. And that will also be a thing that depends upon regulations across cities, states, and even countries. So there are some big, interesting problems to solve on that front. That's something that I've been hearing from exhibitors that I've spoken to is this issue of rehiring, retraining, which is something that's, you know, it simultaneously takes thought and planning, but at the same time, <laughs> there's not much you can do right now. And it takes yeah. liquidity, it takes capital, you yeah. know, which is going to be a big part of that equation. Yeah, it speaks to what John was saying about, yeah, taking care of employees now so they are ready to come back. Now, of course, uh, we've been addressing situations that these businesses can control indoors. A big question mark right now, and this is something that I know uh, you've come across in, in your coverage, Rebecca, is... Will people be comfortable wanting to go to the movies? Of course, there's the element of, well, they might be used to watching things at home or they might be uncomfortable going out to a public space uh, right at the start. What have you been hearing from folks in the industry concerning uh, these topics? 
I understand some polls and some statistics that I've been seeing that say maybe confidence is going to be low. But what I've been hearing is um, a prediction that people are desperately want to go back to the movies right away. And a lot. I know is definitely the case with me. I'm going to be going to the movies like every day. <laughs> Once they open back up, I don't care what the movie is. It could be my least favorite movie. But yeah, I am hearing a lot of confidence that movie viewers are, are going to want to come back. At the same time, I'm hearing an appreciation and an acknowledgement for the fact that you cannot take that for granted, that you have to communicate with your customers to let them know everything is okay. Obviously, uh, when it is, when government boards say it is. But, you know, I'm hearing some stuff like sanitation procedures might change and might have to change. Like before you go into a theater, you get a large popcorn, you get a refill. They use the same bag. Right before, you know, things started shutting down, people started not doing that so much. And maybe will free refills be affected? Just little things like that. But in, in terms of just the general, are people going to come back? What I've been hearing is, is optimistic. Russ, what have you been hearing in terms of uh, demand from audiences uh, when cinemas ramp back up? I mean, everything I have at this point is anecdotal. I am not a research scientist, but certainly amongst those I've spoken to, the demand is high. People want to go back. People want to go back to the lives that they led before this. And going to the movies is a big part of that. And honestly, even if you weren't somebody who went to the movies a lot, I think the movies are representative of a lot of things. As John Fithian said, you know, it's not just movies. This is restaurants. This is gyms. This is everything. People want to go back to doing things out in public amongst other people. We are social creatures. And so... I think there's every reason to expect that there will be a high demand for movies, but there's there might be a process where, as Rebecca suggested, people do need to be made to believe that it's safe. If we look at examples of other individual markets that have been affected by cinema closures, mostly through other health crises or natural disasters, I'm thinking about the cinema closures in Mexico in 2009, where Mexico City had a H1N1 swine flu epidemic that closed cinemas, I believe, for 10 days. When they reopened, it took a little bit. It took a little bit, but uh, eventually it, it recovered once the new releases were put back up on the schedule and uh, it recovered to a fairly good point. Uh, if we look at 2011, uh, what happened with the Japanese box office after the uh, the earthquake and the nuclear disaster that, that the country suffered, that was a very, very difficult period where many cinemas had to go dark. Box office went down. Box office was down that year. It took a little bit of time to have audiences ramp back up, get ready to come back out and spend the money. But eventually they did, and the Japanese box office recovered. I think an, an important thing to keep in mind is that just as the recovery in reopening cinemas is going to be a gradual one, so will the consumer demand. What are the other family entertainment options out there once this ends? Sports events, sports seasons are canceled. I mean, are people going to be going to the beach, flying on planes, going on trips? That to me seems, I'm not flying on a plane for a while. 
<laughs> and that that might yeah. be further away. I think and, that's and a good a lot, point. I, I think it'll 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 be a little bit more difficult to convince people huh. to go out on on a big trip or spend uh, you know two hundred two hundred and fifty dollars on a sport yeah. game as opposed to go going to catch a, a movie through yeah. a social distancing. A lot of people measure. won't have the money to do the things they normally would have been doing late summer and. Movie theaters are there, and compared to other forms of family entertainment, they're inexpensive. Yeah, I think that's the most significant point. The economic impact of this is going to be staggering. For a lot of families, it might be completely overwhelming. The affordability of the movies you know, versus travel or any number of other things will likely be a significant factor in bringing people back to the theaters. And that's something that uh, that John brought up, that in his conversations with some of the international exhibitors that have faced sort of similar closure periods, they've overcome them. They've been familiar to these challenges and, and they've been able to tackle them head on. I know my family's watching a lot of content at home right now, just like everybody else is, right? But it's the only place where you can get entertainment because people are following the right steps to stay home and stay safe mm-hmm. and to reduce the spread of the virus. But all that means is they still love movies and they still love content. And that's a good thing to keep people connected to content while they're stuck in their homes. Once they're out of their homes and once it's safe to come back, we strongly believe there will be a rush to cinemas uh, to see all kinds of movies because people will just want to reconnect with their friends, their family, and have that social experience again once it's uh, considered safe by the health departments. And I'll give you a couple other examples. In Israel, I talked to Mookie Greidinger, who is one of the biggest cinema owners in the world now, but started in Israel. After the third Gulf War, cinemas, during the third Gulf War, cinemas were shut down in Israel for a substantial period of time. And Mookie told me that the best time they had in cinema admissions ever were the six months after they reopened because people were so desperate to get out of their homes and to have a social experience. That's what we're looking forward to later this year. And that's a great outlook. And I certainly believe in a version of that coming to pass, you know, whether we're going to see the greatest ever admissions later this year is, I don't know, but I think that we are going to see people going back to theaters full stop. And of course, this is the sort of immediate uh, future once the recovery happens, right? I think another big part of the conversation we had with John and NATO were the long-term impacts to the industry. And a big question that I think everyone has, both in distribution and exhibition, and frankly, it's coming from a lot of my friends that aren't in the industry as well, is what's going to happen with that theatrical exclusivity window? Now that it's been rolled back, can it go back to the way it used to be? The concept is that the model is not broken. The model is simply on hold. And let me explain what I mean by that. There were a lot of movies in release, in theatrical release, in various territories, including here in the United States, when we had to shut down. And we had to shut down very quickly because the onset of the virus came faster than most people thought. But obviously, it was in the interest of health to shut down quickly, which we did. So by that, let's take uh, Europe and and North America. I'm talking about movies on the schedule for release in April and May and perhaps in June. And for those movies, what we encouraged our distributor partners to do was to postpone them for a theatrical release later with a regular window after that theatrical release. And most of the distributors have done that on most of their titles. 
And one of two things have happened. The distributors have either postponed the movies for a later specified date. So Fast and Furious 9 went all the way to April of 2021. Wonder Woman went to August. Top Gun just went to, to Christmas. You, you get the point, right? Movies that were scheduled for release in the time period where cinemas were not likely to be open were rescheduled for a later time. Or movies were postponed without picking a date yet. And we understand that because it's a massive jigsaw puzzle now on where all the movies are going to go. These, the movies that were scheduled for release in April, May, and June are going to be released either later in this year or early next year. I'm very confident that for most, almost all distributors, almost all movies, they're going to be postponed for a later theatrical release and they'll have an adequate and robust theatrical window in that theatrical release. So with regard to the theatrical exclusivity window, as John Pathian explains, it's something that studios are really taking on a case-by-case basis. There's no indication that um, studios are like, "Uh, let's just throw this thing away. So really now there's nothing that we can do about that. Any of us can do about that. However, there are things that we can and should be focusing on as an industry in the coming weeks. It's all about business survival and protecting our employees, as I alluded to earlier on this webcast, right? And that doesn't stop with the passage of one bill in Congress. It doesn't stop with one initiative in the European country. It's an ongoing process. And so we are all working with our governments. Uh, We continue to work with Congress. There will be additional relief packages coming up. We're continuing to work with our landlords. We're continuing to work with our vendors. We're continuing to work with anyone who's related to the fixed costs in our business so that we can literally keep the corporate structures together and ready to go when we come back up. But taking care of the employees is equally important and a key concern because we want them to stick with us. We want employees that are trained and believe in the cinema experience to be ready to go in a few months when we're coming back up. It's really important during the next couple of months to focus both on the viability of our businesses and the people that work for us, because we need their expertise and their spirit uh, strong and coming back when we're up and running again. The party message is, you know, stay safe, take care of yourselves and your families, stay connected, talk to other people about the movies and this industry and how they're feeling, and be ready to come back up for the greatest resurgence and celebration ever in our business. I can tell you that CinemaCon 2021 will be the biggest celebration and the biggest party of a strong and resurgent business that we've ever experienced. And we are tremendously looking forward to it. And those are the parting words from John Fithian, the president and CEO of the National Association of Theater Owners at our box office live sessions webinar that we held on Friday, April the 3rd. I will tell you guys, you know, I know the three of us were slated to be at CinemaCon once again this year. I miss a lot of things uh, about going to the event. One of the things I don't miss, which I don't choose to do this, I end up having to do this, is manically writing articles at like 5.45 a.m., eating movie theater nachos from the goodie bag as I'm desperately trying to hit a deadline on time. Without fail, that happens every single CinemaCon. Just, it's one of those things you just have to, uh, it's not a CinemaCon unless you're in that situation. I got to say, you know, I, at the beginning of CinemaCon every year, I get that goodie bag and 
I have a sweet tooth. It's a problem. It's just a problem because it's like, you know, eating sugar for me begets eating more sugar. And the only way to stop is to just wall it off. So I've actually left that bag in Las Vegas multiple times because I just think no, Ross, I don't need Ross, it all wrong. to bring seven pounds of candy back to my house. See, I ultimately, when it comes to theaters, I'm a popcorn person. I don't want a crinkly wrapper. I don't want anything that's too obtrusive from a sound perspective. Mm. And also I just like butter and salt in addition to liking sugar. I like butter and salt. So popcorn is really like, that's all I need in the end. Oh, in Mexico, we have hot sauce next to the butter and sugar. It's it's a big part of popcorn. I recommend it. It's a friendly suggestion to our good friends in exhibition. If you put on hot sauce, your Mexican clients will uh, definitely take you up on it. See, I can't do anything that makes a popcorn soggy. Any kind of liquid, I need that crunch, the crispness. I'm going to do the hot sauce edition at home, and I will report back our next episode is going to be entirely about hot sauce varieties and their application to popcorn. Thank you, Daniel and Rebecca, for joining us. Uh, Really great to have you both uh, back here again. And to keep an eye on our upcoming live sessions, continuing the run that we began with John Fithian today, keep an eye on our social channels, such as Box Office on Twitter, uh, where we will reveal further dates and guest announcements uh, in the coming days and weeks. And don't forget to check in on our website, boxofficepro.com, where you can find the latest episodes of the Box Office podcast and announcements for the next session of Box Office Live Session. You can also like and subscribe to our show on iTunes or follow us on Spotify or any other podcast catcher of your choice. Daniel and Rebecca, thank you. It's great to speak to you again. And uh, we will join you back next week with another episode. 